Hey, you're listening to the DMBA podcast where we share business confidence for designers. My name is Alan. I'm a business designer and founder of the DMBA. And you are welcome to another business design jam uh, where we take current business news, new tech developments, interesting business examples, and talk about their relevancy for the work of designers and in general for the work of uh, also business designers. So today I'm joined by Franz, Program Director at the DMA. Welcome, Franz. Hi, Alan. So today we'll have an NFT business model chat. So we'll apply the business design lens to the NFT topic. But before we jump into the topic, um, I'd like to just invite all of you who want to learn more about business and business models to join our seven-day mini MBA, which is an email course. And over seven days, you receive seven emails and learn business concepts relevant for designers. So to sign up, head over to d.mba slash mini minus MBA. So that's d.mba slash mini minus MBA. Okay, Franz, so why did we want to talk about NFTs today? Um, I'd say that, I mean, NFTs are just an exciting new or maybe not so new technology. Um, and new technologies enable new business models. So we wanted to have a chat about some exciting examples. Um, also think a little bit about where they might lead and obviously also discuss uh, what it could mean also for designers and business designers. Yeah, the funny thing is the first time I've heard about NFTs, they weren't called NFTs. It was around 2000, I'd like to say 17, or maybe 16. Uh, so at the agency, design agency where I worked, we had this event and we wanted to exhibit different uh, applications of the blockchain technology. And one of them was how the artists can get paid. And we talked about this digital scarcity, which we'll talk about today too. But I just remember that all of us like uh, preparing that ex exhibition were like excited, but at the same time, like, ah, that's never going to happen. <laughs> Look at us now. I mean, it's crazy. I think that many people getting into this topic still feel the same way. I know that I felt the same way, um, researching about it and just trying to get into it. And you need to cross a certain bar to get from a weird feeling of, is this actually a thing to a real excitement that makes you believe that, yeah, actually this will very likely be a big thing. So hmm. I completely understand this. Uh, first notion of hmm, weird, but now I'm really excited about it. So the first thing we maybe have to clarify is, Franz, do you have an NFT already? I do honestly not have an NFT. Okay, so, neither do I. So it's two noobs talking from the outside <laughs> perspective, at least from uh, in terms of the experience of it. But we, we're, I think, more interested in the business perspective of that whole thing. That's true. So also take this in mind when we say something that is not 100% accurate, but we tried our best in research and we believe that, um, yeah, the business side is still really interesting, even if we don't get the technology super right. But we try to, um, yeah, still explain it in words that make sense, even if you don't have that much experience in the NFT world. Exactly. So let's go into the explanation. Yep. What is an NFT? <sighs> Yeah, good question. I think this is what we should uh, talk about first before we go into examples and business models with it. So NFT means non-fungible token. 
And I would rather start with the second part, the token part. So in general, a token is an object that represents something else. Super easy. Like a ticket for the movie theater is, for example, a token. Or a 10 euro bill represents the value of 10 euros. So it's actually also a token. And an NFT is a token um, that is a digital representation of something else. Now, non-fungible. That mm. took some time for me to understand. But essentially, it means unique or non-interchangeable. So when we go back to the $10 bill, 10 euro bill, or also take a Bitcoin, this is exactly the opposite. This is fungible. So no matter if I have this one 10 euro bill or another 10 euro bill, it's basically the same thing. In fact, any 10 euro bill has the same value and I can use it in the same way. So it's interchangeable or fungible. But let's say I have one 10 euro bill that has some sort of a misprint. Mm -hmm. And there is only this one bill that has this one misprint. And it might also have a different value, right? So first, it's not fungible anymore. If I exchange it, it's not the same anymore. But it may also have a different value. Maybe it's zero because it's a counterfeit. Or maybe it's even 100 or some thousand euros because there is a collector community that is really keen on owning these misprints. And yeah, this is why it's worth more. So this $10 bill with my misprint is one of its kind, which means it's non-fungible. So, so basically, fun so sorry, go on. No, no, I just wanted to clarify. So fungibility basically means can you replicate... Uh, this this thing this token and by saying non-fungible is like no it's it's a unique it's one of a kind yep so unique or non-interchangeable i would say mm. you can't change it for another similar thing um because it's actually not the same and you will always know that it's not the same mm. i mean you can use it like in exchange like you can still try to trade with it but it's not like the same so you cannot change two different it's, it's it's not like there is another thing that's the same and you can just swap them and have the same value exactly exactly yeah. so if we put this together an nft is a uniquely identifiable unit of data and it's uniquely identifiable because it's stored on the blockchain so in other words when someone creates an nft this creating is creating a record or a block um, on the blockchain's ledger. And by the way, this is also where the term um, minting comes in. So when you create an NFT, it's called minting, and this is like minting a coin. Mm. So what are the most famous examples? Like how does this come to, to life? Hmm. Yeah, I mean, before we go to examples, I would even say there, first we need to understand what this does. So it makes something that was not unique. So a date, a data point, a piece of data wasn't unique ever. You could just copy it. But now, um, this NFT takes a feature, the feature of uniqueness from the physical world to the digital world. So any photo, video, audio, PDF, anything on the internet can be minted and can be one of its kind. And you can always identify if this is the one thing or if it's, if it's a copy. So NFTs create 
let's say, scarcity for something that wasn't scarce at all. You could not know if this was like a copy or if it was the real thing. And if I hold an NFT, I have a public certificate for the authenticity. So I know this is real and I have a proof of ownership. I know this is not only real, but also mine. And as a result, I can trade it um, like I can trade anything that I own in the physical world. And I could also like do anything else that is um, basically connected with ownership, like licensing it or, or selling some rights to it. And that's where, um, yeah, the interesting examples come in. Mm. One of the things that people uh, have troubles understanding, including me, is just this, how is it scarce if I can still replicate it? Like if I look at a certain NFT, you know, like let's say CryptoPunk, one of the first, if not the first, uh, a project of its kind. Um, so it's basically like 10,000 unique avatars of, uh, yeah, CryptoPunks. And I can still go in there and just right click, save images and have the same image, basically the same, you know, saved on my, on my hardware. Um, but what the, what the blockchain does, what the NFT enables is that we, kind of know who the first one was, the owner, and it, it still gives that feeling of, oh, okay, so this person owns it. And it's, it, I think the best analogy for that is you can make a copy of Mona Lisa and you can have that copy uh, replica at your home. You can put it in a frame, but like, you know, it's not the right, it's not the right thing. It's not the original. And that's why it has almost zero value compared to the original. So that's the analogy that here in the in the digital world we try to recreate with the NFTs. So I mean, not not all applications go into that respect, but especially art, like digital art, it, it kind of relies on this feeling of ownership. Yeah, that's true. And I think, I mean, this is the most common example, I would say at the moment for NFTs, right? Digital art. And I think also somebody or somebody who is just their most renowned person is uh, Beeple, right? So the most renowned digital artist who basically sold an artwork for $69 million in an auction at Christie's who usually auction like real life physical art. So that's the whole, that, that is one of the, the most common things. And you're right. Anyone could right now Google this image, right-click it, download it, and use it as a screen background or hang it in the living room. I mean, that's just how it is. But the thing is, whatever you download is not the real thing. Like, as you said, buying a Van Gogh uh, print versus owning the thing. And sure, I mean, I think you can still ask, uh, argue, honestly, that a print of, um, I mean a print of Van Gogh is still far from the original. Yeah. But, um, and, or let me put it differently. I think you can say that the copy of a people JPEG is just as good at, as the original because who will ever know that this is not the original. Um, and yeah, and that's maybe different for a print of Van Gogh, which is also really nice. Um, but you will still see the difference between the original or the print. But in the end, the value is what a group of people agree the value is. And at the moment, owning the 
authentic original piece of digital art is probably as valued as physical art yeah at least among the early adopters yeah yeah i mean that 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 is kind of the big difference for me is like yeah in the physical world there's still like a big difference between the original and the replica in the digital there is not but uh as with everything else like with money we we assign certain value to things and uh, if collectively nft is the thing that if the original one is the one that we agree is the only one that's worthy then it's going to be the only one that's worth something um so yeah it, it is kind of hard to to understand and it was definitely hard for me to understand it back in 2016 but now when you see actually this craze around it start it's starting to take shape in how the society or again maybe the early adopters are are looking at this and valuing it yeah i mean obviously you can still discuss the value of it but at the same time you can't discuss because that's what it's traded for so it has at the moment, it has the value that it's traded for. Um, but now, as we basically close this topic of, okay, I can make something, digital art, I can mint it, I can prove that this is the right thing and then I can trade it, uh, we can actually move on to the first business model part of this example. Because the interesting thing is that um, art is usually created and then sold. But with digital art, there is even something more that can come in, which is recurring revenues. It's something that you also try to build in a business model, right? If I try to build a business, I may want to have a system that does not have one-time sales, but I may want to create a system that gives me recurring, re uh, recurring revenues, for example, by subscriptions or by anything else. Um, so NFTs don't only allow to mint and sell the NFT once, the artwork once, but when you create an NFT, you can also set certain rules for future transactions. So the creator can define royalties that they get as soon as the NFT is traded forward. And this is basically a game changer because with an NFT stored on the black blockchain, you don't need a third party to keep track of these future sales and validating them. Like the full trading history is on the blockchain and it's not like hidden somewhere, but you just go there and you can see who owned it before. And everybody can do this. So before um, there was always like power with either the person who holds the artwork or... Um, art dealers, even if there was some kind of reality agreement with the original artist. But now, basically, these, this seizes the power back to the creator, which was formerly held by, as I said, current owners or, or dealers. And that's, that's awesome, right? This is something that automates recurring revenue for the person who created something and gives power back to them. Mm. I think this recurring revenue is very exciting and um it, it 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 is enabled because we're kind of bypassing the usual middlemen which were galleries which were uh i don't know maybe some kind of investors uh and museums and so on who would just have a different idea of how this should be done and now if basically you go, you go direct to consumer so to say also yeah. in art you get a lot of savings and so it means that artists can get more value out of that uh, for example, one implication I also see with the blockchain and with the digital art specifically is 
uh, a total destruction of like uh, digital art appraisal or like you know how you have these houses that need to authenticate certain pieces for them to be actually you know okay this is an authentic van gogh and so on well you don't need to have that with digital pieces because everything is just written on the blockchain yeah absolutely and i think on the one hand it's this authentication and the safety also for buyers but i think the aspect for creators is awesome so mm. having back the power knowing exactly who owns it who traded it being sure that royalties actually get paid or having even the opportunity to uh, benefit from let's say growth in value of my own art um, mm. that's awesome and now thinking this forward this doesn't need to stop with visual art like let's think of musicians mm -hmm. musicians are dependent on labels who publish their records and even get like ip and then they're dependent on spotify to basically display them and pay them an average of i looked it up yesterday 0.003 dollars per stream so what if there is a platform that eliminates middlemen and basically links artists directly uh with listeners so you're saying we need 1000 listens to get three dollars yeah. for a musician well okay <laughs> and and this is at a point where if you create music maybe the whole music isn't yours anymore because you've already sold ip rights to a record label mm -hmm. um and now when you think this um when you think about nfts what you could do is um giving rights to or keeping the rights for yourself but giving rights to listen to something to other people and this mm -hmm. can be directly done via um via yeah rights on that come with an nft and obviously i know that spotify and and labels have different jobs also namely advertising making you public but um yeah we're just seeing like the first wave let's say of what could be possible and uh, this is definitely something that um if it works in bringing art closer to or artists closer to the user and making the their transactions more transparent uh, this can definitely also work for other kinds of art yeah if you think about it like you when if, if i'm an artist and i sell my piece before i'm well known i'm gonna sell it well below the actual value of that piece right that painting let's say and maybe actually the real value will be shown in 10 years when my name is more recognized and so on so i actually am only getting the fraction of the real value of the thing that i've created but by actually trying to recoup the realities so in the long term i will get a much more um like fair value uh, being paid for what i've created i think that's the exciting thing here is um it's a better alignment of the value I created with what I'm actually capturing. That's true. Yeah. I don't know if you want to go into later or now uh, and just tell me tell me to stop if that's the right not the right place. But one one thing that also this this enables is this shared ownership, as you said. Like maybe I, as an uh, artist. Let's say um, I want to raise some money for me to create my next album or series of paintings. So now instead of uh, me owning this whole thing, I can say to my followers, my fans, hey, you know, 
thousand of you can buy this token and then we'll share the ownership and then it's all of us having the same value yeah that's a great next example um which also keeps us in the the art space right so this fractionalization or distributed ownership which is possible by um yeah tokenizing something i would say that there is a huge discrepancy between the amount of people who are fascinated by art and the amount of people who are actually owning art and can even own art because i mean yeah you can buy a print but can you buy an original i doubt it like very few people can yeah um so what this also means that this is about ownership so being able to have something being able to display something but this is also about benefiting from the increase in value like as you said before um buying art also means that you can benefit from the future value it has and future sales so there is this project um it's called particle and we discussed this already uh lengthy uh in private um and they are currently changing this right so their mission is to acquire some of the most important fine art masterpieces and they want to put them in the hands of the particle community that's what they call this themselves so in may 2021 they bought actually uh bansky's um piece love is in the air for 12.9 million dollars so they auctioned this it was apparently a bidding war that's what mm. they said mm-hmm. um and then they divided this painting into 10,000 nfts so basically squares of this picture and now they can be bought by collectors or actually they can't be bought anymore because the listing is over yeah um, <laughs> But yeah, so that's the project, right? Um, and in the back of that, the Particle Foundation um, is a public trust and they want to create a physical museum to display this art. And they promise to never sell the originals. But the particles themselves, they can be traded. So yes, you own one ten thousand of this Bansky's art. Mm. And this might go up in value. And this might also give you some additional benefits, like, for example, being able to go into this museum that they're creating, or maybe having this full picture in your own living room um, in form of an NFT um, picture frame. And the only people who can do this is the ones owning a particular. So it doesn't stop with owning it, right? Mm. The, the interesting here from the business model perspective here is the fact that they bought this painting and then they had to solve the problem of how do we make sure that we're not doubling, that we're not creating a digital duplicate of this. Let me explain. So most of these projects who have tried to do a similar fine art transfer into the digital world, they've tried to just burn it. You know, They've tried to basically destroy the, the art piece. So um, this Particle Foundation was the first one uh, at least to my knowledge, should try to do it differently. So they keep the original, which I think is a smart thing. <laughs> uh, but they put it in a non-profit. And this non-profit in its, in, uh, in its document has a, it, it, it just can't, mustn't, shouldn't sell the art pieces. It can't sell it, right? Uh, so with that, they kind of have burned uh, 
I'm using the air quotes here, they've burned the piece because it cannot be sold. So it's kind of devalued in that way. And that's the promise to these particle owners is that they actually own the only thing that can be future traded. So in a way you do have, you do own that physical piece, but just a digital representation of that. Um, and the other thing that's interesting about this particular project and yeah, it's just been launched last week, uh, is that uh, if you think about, and if you just look it up, Banksy's, um, um, love is in the air. You can see that most of the picture is, uh, basically just white background. Uh, and this basically means that a lot of the people will have the most simple, uh, basically just like white pack, white square. Um, <laughs> piece of a Banksy. Exactly. Which isn't going to be that uh, exciting. Uh, but then somebody will get the piece with the, with the flowers in it. Uh, so the guy is holding the flower in his, in his, his hand and those pieces will be more, um, more valuable. So in that way, that's interesting also how before you had just one unity, this whole thing was worth 10, 12, 13 millions. But now even these particles become almost like a marketplace, uh, within this community becomes interesting. Like, oh, do you want to own this yellow part? Um, or maybe you just like, oh, I have this and I just want to build around it. I want to have all, uh, eight other, uh, squares there around mine and kind of grow from there. So a lot of psychological things happen that you wouldn't expect. So it's, it's a really interesting thing that I'd love to see also explored in other spaces, not just in art. Yeah, that's true. I mean, in a way it's a crowdfunding campaign. Um, but what makes it even more interesting is that this group of people who fund this and who buy this, they have on the one hand individual value for themselves. So one, they own a Banksy, <laughs> a piece or yeah, they own it basically. Yeah. Uh, B, this might increase in value so they can just, uh, they can, um, take part in, yeah, collecting art or investing in art. But in the end, I believe that this is also going to go into the direction of a community. So you are one of a group. And I would say that Particles Collection will go into creating, um, let's say, utilities for people who have this first NFT because they have supported them to be, um, to be successful in the first place. Yeah, they did say something about... Hey, if a lot of NFT owners will be from this city, we'll try to actually bring the banks in there and then you can have a look at it. What I can also see happening is that let's say that maybe this foundation has its own space in the metaverse. So, and you can only maybe get in if you have, and if you hold this NFT, things like that, you know, so there is a way to bring out more utility than just uh, owning that digital JPEG. Yeah. That makes sense. And actually it's also an awesome segue. Um, so I don't, I'm not aware of a lot of community effort from particles, but I see the big, uh, upside there and maybe particles will now, I don't know, think I'm uninformed, but I think there are better, um, examples when we can, uh, that we can use to, uh, discuss the community and the network effects that are possible through NFT communities. So this is our next example, right? An NFT can be 
something, a representation of a piece of art or a representation of a song, but an NFT can also be an entry ticket to a community. And arguably the most famous one is the Board Ape Yacht Club. So basically a community that is open for people holding one of the initially 10,000 Board Apes. So now there are more. They have done yeah. variations from it and now there's drop, but in the beginning it was oh. 10,000. Is it? Okay. By the way, do you like them? Like, what do you think about the visuals? I think they're cool in a way that you can find an ape that is you. <laughs> so that yeah. that's the whole thing about... So it's artwork, but it's not only artwork, but it's a... Um, if you don't, if you've never seen them, you can Google them. But basically, it's portraits of monkeys that are similar, but still all different. So some of them wear caps, hats. Some of them has, have glasses, different furs. So colors of furs, texture of fur. So you can find, on the one hand, they're similar, similar artworks. But on the other hand, you can find the one that, I don't know, looks like you. Or you want to look like them. Or you feel like <laughs> this ape has the vibe that I also have. So this is what I like about them. Yeah, I mean, you bring up an interesting point, which is a lot of these NFT early projects are about an avatar. So it's like, oh, I want to have a digital representation of who I am. I wonder where this is going to go also in the future. Because yeah, like there is a, let's say, an inflation of these projects that just mimic this like avatar type of thing. But I, I think it's exactly because of what you just explained. Like there is an emotional connection to this thing. Oh, I have something that is a digital representation of who I am and I can use it on Twitter and it it's a social status in a way also. But in yeah. the Board Ape uh, Yacht Club, it's it's also an entry ticket to the community, which, like, who are the most famous owners? Is it, like, Seth Curry, the NBA player, and... Yeah, Jimmy Fallon. Um, yeah, Art, I think Timberland, is he's creating mm. a band out of apes. Like he's recruiting from the board API cup and creating a band, but yeah, wow. definitely networking opportunity. You you could say, <laughs> yeah, yeah. In this case, it's really interesting. Um, yeah, building a, a community out of that. Uh, one thing that I find interesting that's connected to the network effect is just the marketing aspect of a lot of these projects. Um, so one thing that nfts slash blockchain enables is this ownership to of, of what you couldn't own before and if i own something i'm much more inclined to talk about it i want to tell my friends yeah. because i want to be cool or maybe because i want others also to buy and to drive the price up so that's why from what i'm reading is they need much less money for marketing these projects yeah. do and this 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 can be a really interesting hack for for startups to get like an army of fans. If you know this piece, like one thousand true fans, uh, basically the theory is that you just need one thousand fans who buy directly from you to survive. And it takes this on steroids. Like, what if they're not just fans, but like co-owners? Yeah. Because if once you own something, you become like so invested. So I, I yeah. find it just a really interesting factor slash like a, a, a thing to play with like a lego block of the future business models to be like mm, will this change our marketing cost structure and the way we do all of these things yeah 
I mean, this took me a while to understand. The first thing for me was, oh, okay, this is a club. Okay, with every club comes some benefits, right? It is any club. So if you, and this is what I started with, okay, what is even the value of that? So it comes with, actually, they call it ape in. So when you buy an ape, you have aped in if you join oh. the community. <laughs> um, and then you get these benefits. Like you, they got other NFTs, like they had a free drop of a dog, um, which you could <laughs> trade forward. So again, m monetary incentive. They had then these other variations of Ape. I told you 10,000 in the beginning. Now there are 30,000. And the way they created it is you got a serum for your Ape and this created a mutant Ape. So it mm. doubled the size. Every Ape nice had a mutant Ape. And then they launched another 10,000 mutant Ape. So actually... This was um, a benefit for the community. Like you could only get the serum for a, another mutant ape if you had already an ape. Again, you can sell this forward. So again, financial benefit. Exclusive merch. Again, you can collect it for yourself or this sells like for X amount of money on eBay if you have exclusive ape merch. Mm. We talked about networking, right? If this is really a club where people want to be in, then you get to meet interesting people. They had their first annual ape festival. Like it's crazy, right? And of course, then comes the interesting part. So the interesting part here is you own not only these benefits, but you own a part of this brand because you own this ape and this ape also has full IP rights. This These apes are worth like tremendous, I would even say silly amount of money. Let's put this aside for now, right? I don't want to, you can agree with this. You, It's okay if you don't agree with this, but what I would like to do now is discussing the background of this, right? So irrespectively of these trade now for a hundred thousand or I don't know, a thousand. But just, just to jump in, yeah, the floor price right now is around $300,000. That's the yeah. cheapest you can buy. Go okay, on. so Elite uh, Circle, of people. You can argue that, but let's now focus on the core of it. The core of it is that if you own an ape, you have the IP to use this ape, which means that you can actually use it for yourself. So you can have an avatar on the internet, in the metaverse, but you can also sell the rights to use this ape to anyone else. Like you can sell to someone else that someone can create merch with your ape, or you mm -hmm. can license this to I don't know, a magazine to tell a story about your ape. So you're basically owning a piece of this company. So then it started in my head that the Board Ape Yacht Club is actually not a community. This is a lifestyle brand. Mm -hmm. And you're part of it because you value the style and you, you identify with its values. And in the end, this is just a lifestyle brand as any other lifestyle brand. Like say Red Bull is a lifestyle brand too. But the big difference is that they um, don't give you as much utility as an NFT lifestyle brand or an NFT community give you. Like Red Bull, for example, they have to create a brand first. So they have to do marketing. They have to do sponsoring events. They partner with athletes. And eventually they create an image that you as a customer can identify with and eventually buy their drink. But 
Red Bull customers, they don't anything, they don't own anything more than the right to consume the energy drink or the right to wear their t-shirt, their merch. And in an mm -hmm. NFT community, in the board ABI club, you own a part of the brand. And this is the network effect. So you can financially benefit from the development of this brand. You can, um, participate in creating what this brand is and the great thing is you want to do this this mm -hmm. is network effects you want to do this because this is a system that rewards you for being an active participant of the community with substantial value yeah exactly i mean this is what it's gonna lock like a whole new way of building a company building a startup um It's just gonna be on on steroids. If you have a, a good base, a good story of people who want to promote it further, um, I think that's just gonna make it so much easier. The question I have is still like, if everybody does that, how do you really then stand out? Uh, one thing is definitely timing. You know, like we're talking about one example that had the perfect timing, the perfect story, yeah. the perfect set of people. Now, if everybody tries to do that, how do you um, how do you really differentiate so i think in the long term what's going to be important is to have a good combination of utility and ownership mostly what i see right now talking to friends is just that monetary incentive is the most important one i think what after the initial hype is going to happen is you will have to have a good utility to to build an nft project and then monetary is like if, if it's there it's great but it's not going to be the main thing yeah um so I think it's going to have to be a combination of these two. I mean, this is why this board API club is so polarizing, right? And this is also why everybody talks about it. It's maybe not because of the yearly ape festival. And it's also maybe not because of the crypto game they're creating. It's because these things are worth hundreds to millions of dollars. So that's yeah. why we talk about it. But that's why I had this disclaimer of let's not talk about that, but let's imagine now what you can do is in the metaverse, in the like, let's say connected age in that we are, we can find people that are like-minded. We can bring them together and give them a token. They can identify with this and they can join and they can collaborate. And if this is now worth monetary, or if this is now worth the utility that comes through another um, uh, through another stream, I think that's irrelevant. The interesting thing here is bringing people together that is now possible, obviously, because internet is everywhere. Everyone can have an, a token. And just finding like-minded people, bringing them together and giving them the utility that keeps them. And then, yeah. yeah. Kind of There's another project that we discussed in the team, which is, it's called Invisible College. Um, it's, it's basically a school for Web3 projects. So let's say you want to learn more about how the Web3 uh, and NFTs. Um, so what they are going to do in February, they will launch their first mint. And uh, 10,000 people can get in and you can mint basically this NFT called Decentralian. So decentralized, uh, decentralized alien. And if you hold this NFT, you have like, a, an, as long as you hold it, you have access to 
the community slash all the learning um, materials of that community. So again, this is a nice story because uh, it is a community, but there's also uh, 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 an additional utility, which is like there's going to be some some content to learn from. And this NFT basically gives you the utilities access to this content. And that's what I like about it here. It's like, okay, there is a reason for me beyond just expecting these to go up in value, to, to hold that, to have access to this, to, to learn from that space. Um, and I'm, I'm guessing more and more projects will come up with something like that. That's exactly what I mean. And I mean, I could argue now, you can also just buy a ticket to a school. So what's the difference? Why do I need a token? No, the only difference here is, uh, look, I mean, what they say, they claim is, okay, we have like 10,000 seats in this school. And if you don't, after a month, don't like it, you can sell your ticket for it, which is not usually what you get with universities, right? Yeah. And here we're back at scarcity, right? And that's the, I mean, th that was the, my probing question. Yes, of course, most of these communities could also just say, hey, we have 10,000 tickets and you can buy them. Um, but if it's a token, this is scarce. And you know exactly who had this before. You know exactly how many there are. You know exactly who holds them. Um, and that's the interesting thing here, right? It's even better than the physical version of it. It's scarcity, but also ownership of that seat. Because yeah. before it was owned by the company, and now actually this seat is owned by me. You know, I can do with it what I want. I can easily burn it, you know. I mm. can send that NFT to another address, and then nobody can use it anymore. Um, and so it's not just about uh, the 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 utility. It's also about that. Uh, so it's not just about scarcity, but also about uh, ownership. That's awesome. That's true. And <laughs> without knowing it, you have done another segue. Nice. <laughs> nice one. Um, DAOs, Decentralized mm. Autonomous Organizations. A new way of owning and governing companies or organizations. So that's what I would like mm. to talk about now. Uh, that's a big one. Yep. Hmm. Yeah, it is a big one. So should we start with mm, definition again for yes. this one? <laughs> okay. Um, yeah. So the DAO. So what it is, it's basically an. In, it's it changes how an organization is owned, and how decisions are made, and also how value is distributed. Um, and it basically combines all of the examples that we discussed above, like uh, digital ownership. Um, it has a community aspect, it has um, network effects. But as I said, let's start from the beginning again and say like definition. And for me, I thought I could understand what it is from the words in the name, right? It's an organization that is governed in a decentralized way. So not by an owner or a small group and its actors, they work autonomously. So they're not employed. Mm -hmm. So I thought like, okay, that's, that doesn't need a definition, right? It's already in the name. But then yeah. I read about it on um, Kraken actually. And it's an interesting definition because it turns it around. It doesn't start with the organization, but it starts with the software part. So Kraken says a DAO is a software that's running on the blockchain that offers 
users a built-in model for the collective management of its code. Mm -hmm. And the reason why I think this is interesting is that this says that this company runs itself by rules. Mm -hmm. Then there are certain decisions and these decisions are taken by voting, right? Exactly. So traditional organizations or like for or nonprofit, doesn't matter. They're run by a small group of people. They organize their activities. So they have executives or a board or committees or an owner. And rather than being like governed by a group of people, the DAOs, they use a set of rules, which are already predetermined and written down in a code um, to be governed. And all this code is open source, so everyone can go there and understand it. I mean, this doesn't mean that I can go there and understand it because I can't read code, but I can, everybody who can read code can go there and they explain it to others. Yeah. So it's not a secret. And in practice, you join a DAO by buying in, buying its cryptocurrency. So mm-hmm. you hold the asset and this asset comes with voting rights. So depending on how many tokens, how many cryptocurrency you actually um, stock comes the basically amount of voting rights that you hold. And the interesting thing is that not everything needs to be voted on. So the goal of these companies is actually to have a lot of things already, um, let's say, um, operating autonomously. So the operational activities of the DAOs, they are governed by the codes and smart contracts. So if then rules. Mm-hmm. So does that mean that if I have 51% of the tokens, I can just decide whatever I want? That's correct. And that's okay. again, where we kind of need to have another disclaimer, like pretty similar to the board API Act Cup. So DAOs in general, they're far from working flawlessly and they are far from having like a dominant design that you can say, Hey, I'm going to do a DAO now and that's going to work out. Like I can say, I can start a limited company and I know exactly how this works. Mm -hmm. So it started actually with the first DAO and this was called actually the DAO. And this was intended to be an investor directed venture capital fund. So people bought into that. And they were supposed to make investment decisions. uh, And the fund was created by the money that came in through the tokens. But hackers found a loophole and actually 50 of the $150 million got stolen. They were able to get it back. Long story short, I'll stop here. um, But DAOs were off to a rocky start with this one, right? Mm -hmm. That was some years ago. Then... Some DAOs, they are really criticized for just collecting funds from its members and then still having this this ownership with a few whales and then ultimately scamming people. Mm-hmm. As this more fundamental topic is definitely still there, like decision-making process of main decisions, they are still dependent on voting rights and they are weighted in the proportion of the amount of currency you have chipped in. So in the end, again, a few people can make the decisions. But still, like DAOs, they have like a huge potential to change how companies are run. And even more importantly, how like value is is created and and then distributed. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, when you, you wanted to say something. Yeah, when you talk about these tokens, it almost sounds like a uh, public company where you can buy stocks. If you have majority, you just can, uh, you know, steer the company a certain way. Um, and I think one keyword you mentioned there is like a dominant design. Uh, once you just need like one good example that starts working, so you see others. Maybe we should do it this way also. So I was just wondering in your research, did you come across any like good examples of companies or yeah, DAOs that seem to be on the right track? The interesting thing is uh, it's not very easy to learn about DAOs without being in their Discord channel. As mm-hmm. DAOs are not organizations, there is the Wikipedia page or something. Like I try to research some DAOs, but I, I find lines, right? So what are they doing? But it's not like, hey, I can now find out what this DAO is now doing, but you can join DAOs and you can join their Discord uh, court service. Um, but before we actually go there, and I do have some um, some examples, before I want to pick up on what you said, um, you said, okay, somehow this actually sounds similar to um, stocks and so on, right? You can also buy into a limited company or you can also buy into a listed company and you can... Um, take part in the value gain or in the revenues. So the interesting thing here is that the DAOs, and this is why many people believe that they have a bright future, DAOs aren't, they are not new things. A DAO Mm -hmm. is actually very close to cooperatives. They're basically Mm -hmm. cooperatives of the digital age. So cooperatives they have been around for hundreds of years and they are um like i don't know how familiar you are with this concept i'm just gonna drop another small um Go ahead. drop another small uh, definition here but that's basically people-centered enterprises they are jointly owned and um controlled in a democratic way and they are only here to realize its members' common needs. Mm-hmm. So this is not someone doing something for someone else, but this is usually a group of people who try to do something that is in their own interest. So cooperatives are really big in agriculture, where farmers join their forces to increase their negotiating power versus big uh, companies that buy from them. Or on the other hand, you have cooperatives from... Um, consumers who run who run their own chain of stores, so they have more purchasing power towards um, the wholesalers. Or you might know some um, like creative corporations um, in terms of designers working together. And this is what this is very close to, right? With the mm-hmm. DAO, it's now possible to have this cooperative mind. People owning something together, governing something together. Um, and you can do this on scale. So people can create real internet native companies, real internet native cooperatives where millions or maybe even billion people can contribute and basically gather value from this. They can be part of that. So mm. this actually turns from a technological inv- innovation to almost a social innovation. Like there can be companies where if you are a worker, employee, if you are a user, if you are a investor, everyone can be part of this. Everyone can um, basically have the same rights and 
hopefully only be in there when um, when they have common interest. So it sounds a little bit like socialism. So <laughs> <laughs> cooperatives, I don't think they're that much of socialism, but uh, yeah, no, I mean, it's definitely. It's that, but I give you this. It is definitely seizing power from the classical capitalist system. That's what it is. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't mean that in a bad way. It's just like uh, I did see also bad ways of how the the companies were run in socialism. So uh, it has its advantages. What we discussed before, which is like the feeling of ownership, the feeling of um, yeah, the buy-in and uh, utility, but then. If it's not implemented correctly, which it wasn't in socialism, uh, because in theory everybody had like a share in the company they worked in and they had like a vote, but then in the top there was a a person who was just running the thing, yeah. like 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 in capitalism. So it was even worse. So uh, the 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 hope here is that the code makes that go away, right? So that code equals out the corruption in a way. Exactly. And that's the, the thing here or the romantic thing on the horizon. So mm. if you go back to capitalist versus socialist, right? So Marx and his theory said we need to seize the power from the owners of the, um, of the means of production to the people. So who, need, who gets it? The state got it. But in the end, we know that didn't really work out well. So, okay, this didn't work. But seizing the power and giving it to the people who are actually interested and who are actually uh, working in this and who are actually buying from this, this does make sense, right? This idea, I think, mm -hmm. is still valid. And the hope is that now we have smart contracts that can actually govern a whole lot of a company. And for everything else, we have voting rights. And that's where I was saying, okay, there isn't like this real dominant design and there isn't this real way of doing it. But I think what it does is it gives us another shot on how companies can be run, right? So mm. we, know, we, knew, we know that, okay, there was, at a certain point in time, there was only private liability. If I started a company, I knew I would be liable. Then the next step was um, limited liability company. Huge step forward for our, like, how we run businesses. Then mm -hmm. we had uh, publicly listed stock companies, another huge step forward. In the middle or on the side, we had socialism. Someone tried to take all this from uh, private ownership and tried a different version. But we, what we all know is none of that is really great. I, mm -hmm. None of that works really flawlessly. And this system, DAOs, they just give us another shot on how companies are run. And that's the exciting thing for me. It is the the tricky part will be legal, I think here because these DAOs promise to go beyond borders, promise to go beyond nation states, and right because right now if you incorporate, you incorporate in a country, you need to decide: am I going to yeah. be here or am I going to be there? And now with DAO, in theory, you don't have to be anywhere. Yeah, and of course, countries will not like that. So there's going to be a huge fight over that. Um, but yeah, I think first we need a dominant design and then we need a dominant success. Hashtag Bitcoin, you know, something that is like so successful that it just like captures the imagination of people. Yeah. So like the, the, the winning horse. 
And then once that happens, then nation states will, you know, wake up and try to regulate that. And that's going to be the interesting part. You know, how, how does that legally work if you have so many owners and so many participants? Where do you incorporate? Who pays the taxes? Where? Yeah. Um, have you watched the, the Rose Island? No. On the Netflix? It's a really interesting uh, uh, story of, uh, of a guy who lived in Rome uh, in the 19, I want to say 60s. Let me quickly look it up. Um, but yeah, he basically decided to, he, he figured out that after the um, first five kilometers of the seacoast, then the no man's land start. So the international waters, and if you put and create an island there, you can just claim it its own country. And he actually built this like it was a concrete bunker slash island. Yeah, he built it in the 1968, and it was an independent. Uh, he he claimed or yeah, he said it's an independent country. And um, the long story short, it actually, looking back, was. A country, but uh, Italy decided to, you know, just uh, let's say bomb it. Not really bomb it, but they went there with the navy and just like uh, put some explosives on it, uh, and it was gone. Um, so just taking this forward, you know, this could be a way for for a DAO, like, hey, let's build an island, let's <laughs> let's Bad. let's just have a, a have a safe haven for these DAOs, and we just corporate there. <laughs> I think that's an awesome idea. Yeah, this um, I think nation-state laws are already being written for DAOs and it doesn't look great, uh, but that's not something that I can say anything about it. It's beyond my yeah. understanding, honestly. But what I, I do have is actually some examples. Or not examples, but where could this go? Mm-hmm. Um so the most obvious one and the one I already shared is like investment DAOs. Like money from buying into the DAO is taken as a fund and the members take investment decisions and all that follows like distributing value or distributing um, costs or um, yeah, the negatives is taken care of by the smart contract. Um, I know that there are already developer DAOs. So basically developers working together on projects and distributing their um, distributing ownership, distributing revenue, uh, but also learning and working together. Um, but what's also nice is thinking this forward to the musician example that we had in the very beginning. So what if we can go back to that and say that, um, yeah, now musicians were dependent on intermediaries like record labels and Spotify. What if there is a DAO that is owned by artists and users who want to listen to these artists? So you buy into, like you buy into Spotify with your, I don't know, 10 bucks. You buy into this DAO with, I don't know, 10 bucks. Mm-hmm. And then, um, yeah, it links so ownership and revenue is actually created by and um, and attributed to these people who have common interest and there is no middleman anymore. So I know this mm-hmm. is like super simplified, but what I'm trying to say is with DAOs, you can have smart contracts in the middle and people who have common interests on either side and they can all own 
the company, they can split um, their votes, they can split the revenue, and basically, um, yeah, they can operate together and link themselves together. Mm-hmm. Or thinking this forward, what if Uber wasn't owned by Uber, but it was owned by riders and users? That would be interesting, yeah. <laughs> so all of this, okay, we have this business model of two-sided platforms, right? Super interesting and something that was very, very big, right? You have platforms where you link together um, the one person offering something and the other person needing something. Airbnb, um, Uber, and you name it. So all of this in the middle could be a DAO and ownership could be distributed to the people who get most value out of it and actually create all the value. Mm-hmm. So all these like Airbnbs, Ebays, and so on. Um, what what may happen though is that, um, I don't remember who said it, but like everything in business is bundling and unbundling. So you have like this now, Airbnb is basically like a huge corporation that covers the whole world. Same for Uber and so on. But if we did with these DAOs, it almost sounds to me like we will have smaller DAOs. So there's the Uber DAO, or let's say taxi DAO in Vienna, in Berlin, in Munich. It's just because then you can even make it more special for your uh, for your city and for your use case. Yeah. And, and the same also- goes for the the artist, the, the musicians example you said before. Like if I don't listen to this music, like I'm not gonna buy in. Correct. <laughs> and I also think that this is really hard to discuss at the moment, like examples. Um, because the, when I try to come up with these examples and not all of them are for me, right? So I read it up for, from other blogs and other uh, podcasts. Um, but this is all thinking about problems that we know and applying the new solution to it. And Chris Dixon is calling this skew-morphic solutions. So when you take mm-hmm. a new to- technology and use it to make things better, he actually says this is like the biggest mistake that you can make, right? So when you look at the first cars, they looked like horse coaches. And this is like, hey, I have a new technology. Let's try to make something that I know better. And this might work or might not work, but even if it works, it's not the most interesting part. Where it really gets exciting is when we see like native NFT or Web3 or DAO systems appear. Something that like we can't even imagine right now. And I think this has the power to like reinvent industry after industry. Yeah, native DAOs. Yeah, that, that always happens. Like you need you need some time to get to the like native solutions. A good example of that is like Zoom. Zoom is basically just taking um, meetings in person and kind of transferring them to online, but it's not really native. A native would be like a VR meeting where you can actually see each other in 3D and have even additional information than you have in person. Um, Yeah, so super curious how that's going to around i guess now we just have to start buying uh, uh nfts and um, incorporating or starting daos front so that we can talk from the first person perspective that's true i mean now after the research nothing can go wrong when 
yeah. big wink. <laughs> so just a small teaser. So we are uh, preparing an interesting, um, let's say, blockchain project at the DMA. We'll be releasing more info soon, but it has to do something with certificates, with how certificates are given in online education. Um, yeah, but more info soon on our LinkedIn and on the to the email list. But yeah, so that's uh, everything in today's episode, everything about NFT business models uh, that we know right now. <laughs> uh, but we'll keep digging. It's a super interesting place and definitely something that will affect the business models of the future. Um, but yeah, if you found this episode interesting and want to learn more about businesses, companies, business concepts, and so on, we invite you to join our free seven-day mini-MBA. Uh, which is an email course, which each day you uh, get one email and learn one business concept relevant for designers. So to subscribe to that, head over to d.mba slash mini minus, uh, minus MBA. So that's d.mba slash mini uh, minus MBA. Thanks again and talk to you soon. Bye, friends. Bye.